When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. What's good, family? Jalen here. I have some great news to share with you. We have recently launched BWR Academy, the number one online school and community focused on teaching personal finance and wealth building principles. By becoming a member, you will gain access to premium financial education covering the topics of credit and financing, debt repayment strategies, retirement planning. That's right, we're going over 401ks, IRAs, and everything in between. Life insurance, we'll be having weekly budgeting and accountability calls, and so much more. You will also gain access to a powerful network. For years, we have been preaching, your network is your net worth. So here's your chance to increase your social capital. We will be having many of our previous podcast guests coming back to teach exclusive classes that can only be found through BWR Academy. We have also partnered with Capital, a premier financial app that will allow you to participate in our quarterly savings challenge. We have a goal of helping a thousand families save $1 million collectively. We'll make sure that you are not a part of the 74% that cannot afford a $1,000 emergency. So if this sounds like the type of environment you would like to be a part of, make sure you sign up by clicking the link in the show notes. Make sure you sign up now because spots are extremely limited. See you in the academy. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell Renaissance, and I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Yo, what's good, everybody? It's your boy Kelly here. And I want to say thank you for listening to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast because without you all, we would not be here. And I have a very exclusive announcement to make. We are releasing a brand new show. That's right. We're coming out with a brand new podcast called What's On Your Timeline. We're taking that little segment out of our podcast. We're making it a brand new show exclusively on Patreon. So click the link below. Join our Patreon for as little as $5 a month. You'll get an episode every week of a raw, unfiltered, unedited versions of us. You get to hear from me, Jalen, 
David, and even Jerry. You get to hear what we think about on our timeline. You get to hear what we're into, what are we listening to, what are we learning, and we'll get to even teach some things possibly. And I promise you, you won't regret it. We're going to talk about stocks. We're going to talk about crypto. We're going to talk about real estate. We're going to talk about the Federal Reserve. Hell, even in this last episode, we talked about Kwame Brown. You know, you're going to get the raw, unedited versions of us, and it is exclusively on Patreon. So click the link below. Check it out. Tell us what you think. If you want to join, like I said, again, click the link below. It's only $5. Literally a dollar, almost a dollar a week, you can get a brand new episode of What's On Your Timeline. So, and we appreciate y'all for rocking with us. Peace out. Do five years of this and be a millionaire and go on do what I want to do, have kids, go live my chip and joy in a game life out here in Texas or struggle for next week. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another episode of the Black Wolf Renaissance Podcast. Your boy, David Bellard, one-fourth of the Black Wolf Renaissance, checking in with my co-host. We got the whole crew in this thing together, man. How y'all doing, fellas? What's good? What's good, y'all? It's your boy, Jalen, man. Another quarter of the Black Wealth Renaissance. I'm feeling great, man. How the rest of the team doing? Feeling good, man. It's a lovely Saturday. Feeling good, feeling great. Joining another podcast. How you feeling over there, Jared? Man, I can't complain. I'm happy to be here. She got me a nice little different setup. I'm in my auntie house today. Look a little fancy. I ain't in front of the regular light, though, like usual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. You know, we got to come with it always. No matter where we at, podcasting got to happen, man. No matter where we at, we're going to make it happen. But as always, y'all, we got another great episode going for y'all today. Prior to me, I guess I just would like to ask that anybody that's listening to this, leave a rating, review, like, subscribe to the podcast. Um, it helps with the show. But now it's I guess, got a good brother mm-hmm. out of Pennsylvania, Philadelphia to be exact. You started out in New York, moved out to Philly, you know. He started out in the barber game, and we was introduced to him actually through Instagram. He had reached out to us for a consult call, and we got to topping it up. Had a real good conversation mm-hmm. with the brother. He was sharing his journey with us. He was like, man, this is some powerful stuff. This is something our audience really would need to hear. So we had to get him down for the podcast to just share his journey as an entrepreneur through the many different cycles of businesses and share his testimony when it comes to having faith as an entrepreneur. We have none other than the pastor, Alan Brown. Uh, Alan, how you living, my brother? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, man. Alan's good. I heard you stumble on pastor, brother. Alan's good. You know, hey, that's you cool. me out throughout the interview, man. So we have to stumble on that, but everything is good. Life is good. And I'm glad I connected with you brothers, man. I've seen 
the Black Renaissance moving. I think maybe one time when I first stumbled on you, y'all might have had like 160,000 followers. Then, then y'all had like 400,000 followers. So I said it might be interesting to reach out to these brothers and see what they're doing. They're doing something right to just develop a following. So I could never be not humble where I won't act. So I did consult with y'all guys, and I like what I hear, and y'all heard some things that I shared. So that's what brings me here with y'all today, man. So looking forward to this. Hey, man, appreciate you for taking this time out your Saturday to come and kick it with us, my brother. And uh, just the way we normally start this podcast thing off is we start off with just getting to know who you are as a person. So, like, for anyone who doesn't know, who is Alan Brown and what made you on your journey to entrepreneurship? Well, you know, I'm originally from Queens, born of Carolyn and Elijah Brown. That was my parents. They were, you know, middle class parents. You know, they raised me up in the morals and the way that I should go. And I think it wasn't until about I was 12 years old that I believe, let me tell you something, I didn't even know what entrepreneur was or any of the fancy words or what you want to call it. But I just knew that at an early age, I was doing things to want to generate my own money. All right. So I couldn't define it. I couldn't define myself who I was then, but I knew I was doing little stuff every time to figure out how to get money. And my father would aid in that by basically telling me if I wanted to get some things to figure it out. You know, one of his favorite things to say to me was think, you know, he said all the way up to the day that I died. Like if I had a problem, he would say think. If I would come to him for a homework question, he would repeat the same thing over and over again to not give me the answer, but to make me think. So those are kind of all of the shapings and, and everything of my early childhood to get me to where I am today. So, I mean, to define me who I am, I don't want to never say self-made because I don't believe no one is self-made because at any time you can stop breathing and I believe somebody's in control of that. But I do want to say that, you know, a lot of self-discipline, a lot of self-motivation pretty much got me to where I am today as far as the whole entrepreneurial thing. So, mm. you know, I try to stay away from that word self-made. I'm not self-made even though I do stuff self. I like that though. Not self-made, but very self-disciplined. So, yeah, yeah. so Alan, my brother, I want to ask like, what was your first entrepreneurial attempt? I know you kind of mentioned it like when you were 12, like what was your first venture? I would have to say it was, I mean, because, you know, I did paper route. I don't know if you want to count that, like do a yeah. paper route and stuff like that. But it was between, I want to say the lawnmower business that I had, because me and my younger brother, we always would go around the neighborhood and shovel snow. But that was kind of random. You know, when it snows, you would just go out and knock on doors and see, you know, who would let you shovel their snow. But I want to say a little bit more organized was my lawnmower, my so-called landscaping business. My father bought a lawnmower. I might have been like 11 or 12 years old. And he had another young man named Kenny. Kenny used to come around and he would give him 10 hours to, to cut the grass and he would bring his own lawnmower. So I was very observant of that. So when my father decided to buy his own lawnmower, I started to negotiate for that lawnmower. And his deal was, listen, if you want to use that lawnmower to go out and get you some customers to uh, cut the grass, then you need to cut mines first. That was the deal that I made with him. Cut mines first, never leave the house, uh, grass undone here where you live. And then you could take that too to go out and make money. So I really want to say that's the first time where it was like kind of organizing my mind. Like that was so intentional. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. 
It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. It wasn't just random, but to build up a clientele. So where I lived in Queens, I had, you know, regulars that I would knock on their door every other week or so, and they would be ready for me to come and cut their grass. So that pretty much helped me get a lot of the little things I wanted to get at 12 years old. I was pretty much buying my own stuff and just uh, financing all of my little activities. Mm. You know, that would have to be the first time that I think I engaged in my own business. So you were a kid, you started learning how to make money for yourself. I did end up reading your book, so I knew that you started cutting hair whenever you were around 15. How did you get into that? And like, what, like, even before we get yeah. in, there, I want to commend you on like you taking notice that the guy, he come to the house and he get $10. You're like, oh, now I got access to my own lot more. Like I could go do the same thing. So I want to commend you for having it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very observant. So I seen the money exchange and I like money. So I said, wait a minute. <laughs> so when the opportunity came and I seen a lawnmower come in the house, I said, I can do that same thing. I think what's very important for anyone who's young is how they're exposed to stuff. I mean, some of us would look at stuff like that and nothing would trigger. Because if we were spoon-fed, you might not have that thought. But mm-hmm. if you're middle class and maybe, you know, sometimes money is an issue in the home and you can see a certain exchange, there was a level of exposure for me to see Kenny. And I kind of backtrack a lot of times when I look and say, why did I do that? And Kenny was the catalyst, like, or the exposure that I saw with that money exchange was, and then it taught me something that I, if I had a lot more, I could do what Kenny's doing. So when one came, that was the first thing that I thought, like, I can go do what Kenny did. So I think there's a certain ingredient that a lot of us have that kind of sparks us or gets us on our way based on what we're exposed to in, in life situations at those times. Yeah, that's very important. I definitely think we all have a catalyst and paying attention and observing what that catalyst is. Because a lot of times, sometimes, We don't observe what it is. A lot of times, some people think, oh, this is just happening to me, but they're not paying attention to what's the underlying Facts. I'd like to get back to David's question with the barbershop. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, with that, because, I mean, you started off young, you kind of sold your entrepreneurial oats kind of young, got used to making money for yourself. And I know you started, like, your first official business was you as a barber. So can we get into that? Like, how'd you find your way into that? And like the opportunity? It's always, it's always interesting to go over this, but I want to say this, my friend, not my friend, let's start here. My father used to take us to the barbershop. It was a guy named Dr. J. Now where I'm from is from Queens, New York. Jamaica Avenue is a very popular avenue. If you listen to a lot of rappers from Queens in one part or another, they might mention the ad. They talk about Jamaica Avenue, South Jamaica, Queens, Jamaica Avenue. So there was a guy, his shop was Dr. J's. My father used to take me there and I was very observant of what was going on there. So I always had a little fascination. So what my pops, you know, me and my younger brother, he's two years younger than me. We'd be telling him the styles we're going to get when we get there. We get in the barber's chair. He like cut it all off. We like, did that. We wanted a fade. We wanted a flat top. Because flat tops are there. He'd be like, cut it all off. You're not going to call me here tomorrow. Cut it all off. So my friend Jonathan started cutting hair. And, you know, we were young at the time. So we asked my father, listen, could John cut our hair? So he said, all right, whatever, whatever. So I started cutting our hair and we started to like the styles. He was learning basically how to fade and do all of the moon parts and everything, you know. So we was liking that. And then after about a year, Jonathan enrolled in barber school. 
So when he enrolled in barber school, he pretty much that occupied his time. There was nobody in the neighborhood to cut hair. So I picked up the slack like my little brother needed a cut. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to cut his hair. So I figured out a way to get me a clip. And I stopped giving him bowl cuts, like just straight line, no fading or nothing, just a straight line around his head. And I thought it was nice at the time. It developed from there. So, you know, kids in the neighborhood started checking me. I started getting better and better. I started observing how it really was to cut. And I asked my parents if I could set up a barbershop in the basement. So they said yes. Next thing you know, the whole neighborhood come through, give me $5 to cut their hair and stuff like that. And that's what was beginning of me developing my skills in the barber business. So Marlon, who I believe I inspired, also picked up some clippers that his father used to have that he would cut his hair. And he connected with a guy named Sam. And that connection was a good connection because when he got connected with Sam, Sam got him a job at the barbershop at like 14, 15 years old. So we like young guys. And there was a guy named Marty who had a shop as well on Jamaica Avenue, right off Jamaica Avenue, 161st in Jamaica, where he trained and where he learned. So Marlon started building a reputation in the neighborhood and he started wearing, you know, I'm talking about the late 80s, all right, and early 90s. He's wearing like dookie ropes and Cuban chains. And I'm like, yo, where are you getting all this money for that? He said, I'm cutting hair up on the app. So he already knew I was cutting hair. I was like, yo, you got to get me in that shop. I need to get in there. So I asked him like three or four times. And he would always tell me like, I'll get you in, I'll get you in. But he never would. He never would. So I finally went up there on my own. And when I went up there on my own, I found out who the owner was. His name was Marty. I spoke to him. So he told me, he said, all right, when you get a little better, I'll get you in here. So for six months, what I would do was I would go by the shop. I would sit. I would watch the other barbers. I mean, this was a time where there was no YouTube. I think if YouTube was around now, uh, back then, actually like it is now, I would have learned so much faster. But I sat behind these guys and just watched them. And then when I would learn something, I would go to my brother and be like, let me try this. So it got so bad that my brother had burns on his head, lopsided head, you know, all type of burns on his neck. Because I was just every day cutting his head, just burning them up and just trying to overly sharpen my clippers and whatnot. But at the end of six months, I went to Marty and I told him I was ready. So that was like when I was 15 and he gave me a job. And from then it just took off for me. Mm. Well, that's how it happened. That's how it happened. I love it, man. I love it. It's, it's I want to know how, of... how he convinced his brother to keep on letting yeah, him to keep cutting. Days, man. <laughs> let, let me share this with y'all. That was, if y'all heard me right, that was my little brother. Yes. <laughs> it, was no it was no convincing. You know what I'm saying? I'm 14, he's 12. I'm like, yo, come on, let me put your head. And that's that. Or we going to have a fight. Like, so it was no convincing. Give me the hands. You going to get beat up? Hey, you still going to get messed up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So he dealt with it. But you want to know the interesting thing now about my brother? He Who's got that? a barber school. He has four barber shops. I had, he had two in New York and one in VA and a barber school, 13-chair barber school in Virginia. So he picked up the trade right after me and took it and ran with it. And he started developing in real estate. He got a contractor company, got a barber school, got a real estate, multi-unit homes and everything. So that trade pretty much set us off. Mm. To be honest with you, it mm. set us off. I'm glad I stumbled on it because, you know, at 18, when I was 15, I started building up a lot of clientele in South Jamaica, Queens. I'm not bragging on myself, but really nice. A lot of those drug dealers and everything that 50 Cent be rhyming about, I know all of them from cutting their hair. It was just a spot in Jamaica, Queens, where it was a frequent spot. So I came up cutting those guys say I built the reputation. And at 18, I owned my first barbershop. And then shortly after that, I had another shop. So cutting the hair pretty much gave me the foundation to everything probably we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. A lot of it. Hey, that's powerful, bro, because I'm glad you keep touching on that word trades because nowadays people like they have a negative perception of the trades. Or, like we don't talk about it enough, but like you said, in the 80s and all, 
back whenever you was learning, 80s and early 90s, like the trades, that was the only option. Now everybody want to do what they see on the internet. Like we need to get back to that as a culture, just like using those to leverage up. So learning a trade at 14, 15 led to you owning a shop by 18. Correct. I kind of want to talk about like you learning the trade too, because you didn't mention that you went to a school. So going to like barber school wasn't required in the eighties like it is now. Cause I know now you have to have like your barber's license and everything. Well, okay. Let's talk about it. I mean, I was a little hustler at that time (laughs) Um, and you know, there's a lot of shortcuts that you could take and you learn about these things. I will say that a license was required all the time. So throughout my story, a license was required all the time. And just about in every state where they regulate a license was required. I just so happened to stumble on a situation with a guy whose name was Marty. Just was like, if you was nice, he would let you in the shop. His shop wasn't even a licensed barbershop. It was just some renegade type of setup, a hole in the wall. You know, we was a five-chair barbershop with 11 barbers. It was always busy because you had to hustle for your chair. So there's a lot of unique situations in which I learned how to hustle. I learned how to be a shop or shop to build up my clientele. So, you know, that's like a whole nother podcast of just learning the ins and outs of just grinding and getting some uh, insight on hustling. But this was a guy named Marty who didn't have, he had his license, but a lot of the guys who were with him didn't, but he let mm-hmm. you work. But I ended up getting my license at the age of 18. Now, as far as schooling, there are two ways in most states that you can get your license, which is being apprentice, like an apprenticeship, or actually enrolling in school and getting your hours through the school. So I basically took an apprenticeship. I signed maybe when I was 18 or 17 and I had my apprenticeship for two years. And then I was able to go take my state board to then get my license. And I didn't get my license until I was 19, but I owned my shop at 18. So again, that was just part of the hustle. Yeah, I didn't have the paperwork, but the opportunity came. I just jumped out the window. So, you know, I jumped out the window. Everything works itself out. man. I had a state inspector in my shop when I didn't have my license. My brother didn't have his license. And. New York is kind of laid back, but he said, who in here has a license? None of us had a license. So I'm 18. My brother's like 16. I have one other guy in there. And we like, none of us have a license. So he said, he'll bring some paperwork to initiate the license process. And he never came back. He said he was coming back the following week. He never came back. So a lot of my friends in New York, guys, I ain't trying to blow them up. Who knows going to hear this? But a lot of my friends in New York, the shops is not like legit. New York is about the hustle. And you know, once we'll fix it later. Let's get this money now. We'll fix the situation later. But it always burdened me. So that following year, I got my license after I did my apprentice time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very interesting. So I kind of want to get into how you acquired the shop at 18, being that you were unlicensed. Like, how did you go about getting the shop? Was it just like you financed it? How was that? I did finance it, but I also stumbled upon it. So I believe in life, there's different things of there's happenstance, there's certain mindsets that gravitate you to what you really are and who you are. So I kind of want to say that I was a boss ever since. Like when you hear my stories and I'm talking about cutting grass or I'm talking about setting up a barbershop in my basement. There's another story I mentioned in my book where I started selling autographs. I stumbled on this idea because one of my friends, his sisters, showed me an autograph from Audio 2. I don't know if y'all know that song, but that's like, Milk is chilling. Giz is chilling. What more yeah. can I say? Top milk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get money. Money I got. That famous sample. So yeah. it was that group she had an autograph from. So I said, how you get that autograph? She said, I just sent a letter to their fan club and they sent it to me. So back in the day, you could look at the back of an album cover and see the details and the phone number and address of the artist. So they contacted the artist. The artist gave them a thing back. So I was like, wait a minute. That was all you did? 
So I did it and it worked. So I went to school probably next week and I was telling all the girls that I had an uncle who was a manager in the music business and I can get anybody's uh, autographs. So they was like, what? <laughs> so I started selling autographs. So I'd be like, you know, I've been charging like five, ten dollars and I remember I got like LL Cool J, Cool Mo D, Salt and Pepper, uh, a couple of other artists that I would get for people. So when I give it to them, I'd be like, you know, just let me know. My uncle's a manager. And it was just a story, but I would then go contact the fan club and they would send those black and white little eight by 10 audiograph pictures to your house. And then I just bring it to school and, and knock them off. But mm. let me tell you about how I got the first barbershop. So my mindset was always thinking, thinking, thinking. So what happened was I just cut with a guy named Junior at Marty's, right? And it was actually Marty Stepan. This other drug dealer guy named Opie opened up a shop for him about four blocks away from where my shop was, where I originally started. As soon as he opened up the shop, Junior went to jail. Did something with drugs or something and went to jail. So he was away for almost a year. So the next crew that the guy had put in there pretty much robbed him. Like it was bad. It was a whole bad management situation. So he came down to where I was at and was like, yo, I'm looking for barbers. So none of the barbers wanted to go because everybody was comfortable with the money that they was making. You know, they were grinding. It was good money for, you know, barbering, especially at that age. So I was like, you know what? I was kind of sick of where I was at. It was a little too cluttered. So I said, you know what? I'll go up there. So when I went up there, the first week wasn't really all that. I probably only made like $300 or so because I'm used to make a little bit more than that. Plus back then, it's not really like cell phones and, you know, you could keep a clientele with just, you know, it's social media. You see how Barbers is on social media now. It wasn't none of that. It was just pay phone in the shop or whatever the case is. So my clientele kind of dropped, but something in me was like, Al, just go ahead and step out to see what happens. So I went up there. I started to rebuild the barbershop. It was me by myself. I started rebuilding the barbershop. And I'm getting to know the owner of the building, which is very key because he became my first millionaire mentor. So I'm getting to know him. And about four months into it, my move, he comes to me and asks me, where's Opie at? And I'm like, he hasn't been around. He said, well, Opie haven't been paying me any rent for like three or four months. So I'm like, wait, what? So I'm building up this business. Yeah. And I'm hitting him off and he's not paying the rent. So he's like, yo, yo, this could possibly be defaulted and it's going to be closed down or whatever the case is. So now I'm stressed out. My brother had moved up at this time. So we kind of stressed out like that. We just made this move. We built up the shop. The clientele is crazy. What are we going to do? So the landlord came again. I couldn't contact Opie. I'm reaching him out, which was a blessing. So I started thinking, like, you know, what could I do? So I asked the landlord. I said, can I take this place over? So he broke down the expenses to me and told me that the rent was only $1,400 a month. So at the time, I'm making like a G to $1,200 a week. I'm like, wait, the rent is only $1,400 a month, and I'm giving him all of this money? I said, I can handle the rent. So he said, you can. So he was like, yeah. So he said, you know what? I'm going to evict him out of here. I'm going to need you and the barbers to leave the place for a couple of days while I go through the eviction process. The marshals come in, put the notices on the door, and then I'm going to repossess the whole shop. Once I repossess the whole shop, then I can sell it to you and then you can rent it out. So mm. we negotiated and that's how it happened. So the whole transaction cost me about seven grand. And then that's how I got my first shop. Yep. And I financed the seven grand. Yep. Dang. So the barber shop was only seven? Well, Fine. what the landlord wanted, he wanted his security and he wanted his back pay. That's all he was really interested in. I got so that's you. all I had to give him. Yes, I, I laid that out, and then it was mine from right there. So I signed that lease at 18 years old, paid that off, and then that was pretty much it. I was moving from that stage. Mm. Absolutely. That's why I say I stumbled on it, but also it was kind of me because I just felt like it was meant to be. It's meant to happen. I think it was a certain mindset that drew me to that whole situation. So now that you go 
from just working in the shop, now you're actually the owner in the shop. How do things change? How do things start to get different for you? Because now, like, instead if, of just paying boot, yeah, if you got if the things shop. don't go right, you could have blamed the dude that it was over, like who names it was under. But now it's all on you. So, like, how does things start to change, and how do you start to prepare to actually be this business owner? You know what? I got to be honest and say it was first. Let me say it was no pressure. It was no pressure because I had already seen myself giving him like seven to eight hundred dollars a week commissions off of my cut. Mm-hmm. And then also money off of the other. So when the landlord told me, like I was stressed up before that, but when the landlord told that the rent was only $1,400 a week and I knew I was giving him that like a week and a half to two weeks time, I was like, wait, that's all. So it was kind of like a revelation to me that mm-hmm. I didn't think about. But I'm like, wait, that's it. I said, this is easy for me. So I kind of took it and I was the one managing it for that four to five months anyway. So it was no pressure. So all I had to do was do the same thing that I was doing anyway. And basically just grew it from there. So I added on some more barbers. The place was a little bit more stable because I was there and running it. But um, I was mature about the whole thing. The type of person that I was, I didn't have loud music. I catered to every level of clientele. So there was older gentlemen. There was women that would come to my shop. Everybody would feel comfortable. And that's just something that I just knew to do naturally. And from there, it just thrived because then people start talking. And barbershop is a good word in my business. If you're giving out good cuts, people will tell people about your business and that's pretty much generally with any business so it was pretty simple that wasn't one of my complex projects so that's awesome man especially from a very young age to be able to to step out on your own and to, to have your own business and to be in charge and managing these different people but from the barbershop what was your next venture in between that i got married let me just back up one minute and share this with you that the five to six months that i was there the landlord within the two months of time got to know me and he saw me opening and closing the place for the other person I was working with. He saw me there all the time. So that kind of aided in him and his wife leaning to say, you know what, we're going to let you get that spot. Mm-hmm. And I share that because they were Korean. So he became my mentor, but he always often would tell me that, you know what, I'll be honest with you. We don't really do too much business with black people. This is straight up and down. And he said, but how we saw you there every day and doing what you do, it made it easy for us to give you this opportunity at 18 years old. So it was basically my character that they saw that mm. actually helped me get, I didn't need no references. I didn't need any of that. He just believed. And then I did business with him basically for 12 years in that location, as well as the second location, which is the question that you asked me, what happened after that? I did a couple of different ventures. Like I had a cleaning company. I started my music production company. And then I opened up another shop when I met my wife. So there was some things in between And I share that even in my book, like some of the details that I learned or the insights that I received as I ventured into different businesses, because there's different levels to entrepreneurship. And I think that having a trade and getting into your own business, it's like when you're the one making the money and having to be there to make the money, it's like the first level of entrepreneurship. And then there's different ways to scale up when you come out of that or work on your business versus in your business. But those are the things that I started to learn as I started to make progress. Mm. I was just about to ask if there was a a particular time or a particular instance that kind of like hinted towards you thinking on that level as far as like there's levels to entrepreneurship. Because I know some people, like, for example, I know barbers who like make good money, you know, they work for themselves. They don't really have their own shop or anything like that. But it's like they're not really worried about that. They're not thinking about trying to scale. So like when did that kind of click with you? Like, I can't be in the shop all the time. Like it doesn't need to just be me cutting. You know what? 
I got to bring this guy up again. His name is David. He's the one that owned the building when my first barbershop was. So let's take 13 stores, right? He mm-hmm. would sit me down. Now, you got to think now. At 18 years old, I'm doing for myself anywhere from $1,000 to $1,500 a cutting hair, and I own this barbershop. So y'all already know my young mindset, right? That, you know, I got all of the sneakers. I'm getting fancy cars. I'm doing all of the silly stuff. And he sat me down. And he said, why you got all those clothes? This is what he asked me. He asked me, why you got all those clothes? He said, why you got sneakers for every day of the week? So he took a liking to me, right? To give me some insights that my community, or I didn't see exposed in my community, as far as what to do when you get the money. Mind you, I'm around a bunch of drug deals. Everybody got BMW, Mercedes, Benzes, every fancy car. So I'm thinking, you know what, once I get this money, that's my move to do. So I did it. And even after I knew to do better, I still did it a little something. It's like something that's got to be worked out your system. But when you talk about scale, when you talk about scale, or just learning the different levels of entrepreneurship, the first seeds that came were from the same guy that gave me the barbershop at first. He told me this principle. I talk about it in my book. It's leverage. One of you guys mentioned it earlier. But he said, he started talking to me about leverage. And how he broke it down to me was, look, I own this building. This building has 14 stores in it. One of them is yours. So he didn't knock my level of entrepreneurship. But he said, look, you come here every day to make money. You're your own boss. But you come here every day to make that money. He said, I have a building with 14 stores. And I come here once a month to collect money. Mm. So that's a seed in itself to provoke thought, right? So now you're like, okay, so break it down. So now, you know, this is my beginning understanding of an asset making the money from me than me coming to an asset and working within the asset to make the money. Y'all see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So he was the first one to start stimulating my mind like that. Then there was another guy named Derek. And Derek owned a Jamaican restaurant that cooked Jamaican food like about five stores down for me in the same building. And he was into real estate. So he had a restaurant. But, you know, when, on some downtimes, we would get outside and we would talk. And he told me, he said, yo, I own 15 homes. I'm like, you own 15 houses? He said, yeah. And I make about a G off each one every month. So I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. So I'm like, wait, what? He said, yeah, I bought them low. I renovate them. Then I rent them out. And I only get into the deal if I can make just about a thousand or more on cash flow on each one. So he broke all of this down to me. The reason why I said that I had the information and I still did dumb things because I can remember Derek sharing that with me. And I still went out and bought a fancy car and drop money on a car when I could have dropped it on the house. But, you know, again, you young, this is stuff that when it's embedded in you, you got to get it out your system. So eventually it comes out of your system. But those were the beginning of the seeds that I got that actually changed, I want to say, the trajectory or the course of my life when certain opportunities came, rather if I should jump on them or not, because of what I saw and how I look at them and how they can scale. So that was the early stages for me. Yeah, that was the early stages. So you got the second shop and you went from that position of being like self-employed to being an owner as well. Like, were you still working in the shops whenever you had the second shop or were you like strictly like your guy? All right. Well, here, let's do this because I think this will help your listeners. Right. You can build in a particular way and you can get trapped in that way. I want to specifically use the word trapped because. If you are the person in your business and the business relies on you to make money and you start building other stuff outside of that, okay, let's give some examples. So now you go get a home. I ain't talking about an investment property, but you get a home. Now you go get a couple of cars, right? And now you go get some other expenses that all rely on you to cover them. This is not a business that cover these expenses. This is you. So I'm Barbara Al. I show up to work. I got my business, self-employed, got my 
workers and everything. But that low level system takes care of my house note, takes care of my car notes and everything else that I'm financing from cable bills, utilities or whatever. I'm this one guy. And if I go down, then everything else comes down around. Me. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Which is a lot of times what the majority of people, rather employed or self-employed, build a system like that where they're the one that's running that system. Next thing you know, they're down. The system doesn't take care of itself. Everything else has to suffer. You have to start pawning some stuff or bringing some stuff back to the dealer. Like, I can afford this. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. <laughs> so because it was built on you. So when you asked me how did I make the transition, it was a faith thing. Okay, because I want to say about the time I got the second barbershop, I met my wife and we're starting to build a family. And when I get into the ministry, for the first five years, I really don't understand faith. Okay, I'm in church, but I don't have relationship. So mm-hmm. now I'm feeling trapped. All right, I'm feeling trapped under the weight of me having to be somewhere every day. And if I'm not there, everything falls down. So you kind of feel like you're trapped because if you pull away from it, Everything is gone. That's why a lot of people can't be free now because they built businesses that way or they built their career that way where they now have obligations. And if their income stops, those obligations fall. So I went to prayer about it. So y'all do know y'all talking to Pastor Al, who wasn't a pastor at the time, but I was new into the ministry. I'm new in my faith. And five years has gone by. And I go to pray about it. Like, you know what? This is too much pressure for me. I need another way. Now, I got all of the information and I know how to scale. But I just don't know what it is, how I'm going to make the transition to stop doing everything I'm doing, to go get the new way of things. And that's when I went to pray. And when I prayed about it, the answer that I got back was to just walk away from everything, Mm. get rid of everything and just trust me, trust God. So that's a challenge because my whole life since I'm, look, 12, 13, 14, I knew how to get my own money. And now God is telling me to step out on faith to get the new things that I want in my life. So that was very challenging. So again, it's almost like the mindset of me just going out and flossing and doing things the wrong way. And that had to be changed. My level of faith had to be changed because I'm saying that I'm a believer. I'm Christian. So that's my faith. I'm saying I'm I'm a believer, but yet I won't trust the process to step out of faith to get what I really want. Mm -hmm. So it's like God had to check me on that. So it took me six months. So when he first told me that, I was like burdened. Like, oh, my God, get rid of everything. I didn't hear God. God didn't tell me that. That doesn't make any sense. And I'm glad you say that, my brother, because a lot of times we'll be told, you know, go pray and talk to God. And then sometimes we'll be like, how do I know when I'm going to hear him? Or how would I know that is God talking to me? So I kind of want to ask you that, like, how do you know that's for sure the message that God said? You know what, Alan, you need to get it all the way. All right. When God called me into the ministry, all right. God called me into the ministry. I got baptized. All right. So I had partners. I was making about 80 grand a year with these partners. I had a booting company. So the booting company was next to the building that I was at. The owner had a lot and cars would park there frequently illegally. So there was a company there that was before me that was locking up boots, but he had grown too big to actually monitor the lot where we was at. So we would have customers that couldn't park. The other people that were paying for spots, other people would take their spots. So he hired a booting company. So I don't know if you're familiar with a booting company, but it's a, it goes on your car. It mm-hmm. disables it. It makes it even, right? So he was gone. So I had another friend who came home from jail that worked for that guy. 
So when they left, I told him, I said, could you give me his number? So I went to go talk to him. I said, listen, you don't have the lot no more, but show me what you did to get the boots and how you got licensed. So he showed me the whole thing, how it is. And I'm going to try to give you the short version of the story. I set up a company. I ended up getting a lot next to me. I took on some partners and we ended up going to like five lots. So we started making a whole lot of money because to take the boot off of the car was $100 plus tax. Okay, so like 108.25, eight and a quarter tax. We were doing the lot next to me, like five cars a day. The other lots that we had, we had like McDonald's, we had banks. We would do like eight cars now. So I was employing some of my friends that was coming home from jail. I was employing just other friends. So we had this operation going. So my friends started stealing money from me. Mm -hmm. So when I met my wife, as soon as she said, when she met them, when she was my fiance, only knew me for like a week, she said, your friends are stealing from you. I'm like, wait, what? You don't even know them. I only know you for a week. I know these guys for like eight, nine years. She said, I, I'm telling you, they're stealing. So that came up again. And long story short, they were stealing from me. So I was going through this process in life where everything was just like a betrayal. You know what I'm saying? I was having fallouts. I had a fallout with even my brother. I had a fallout with friends. So Easter Sunday comes up. My wife and I was like, all right, we're going to go to Easter service. We go to Easter service. And it's like the whole sermon was for me. It was like God was speaking to, to the preacher. He was like, you know, things are falling apart. You have friends that are betraying you right now. But if you come right now, Jesus is the real deal. He said, and then at this time, this is when Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson had their bouts. So he was preaching. And he was like, he's realer than the real deal Holyfield. Mm. And I'm just sitting there like, I remember that line from the sermon. So I just say, you know what, I'm going to give my life. And I gave my life to Christ that week. Or that Sunday, 1998, that Sunday. So now the church scheduled me to get baptized about two or three months later. I got baptized after I went through all of the beginning stuff. So the day after I got baptized, that night I had a dream. I woke up and I was speaking to a lot of people. So this was a very vivid dream. I remember it clear. I was speaking to a whole lot of people. So I proceeded to tell that to my fiance at the time. I said, I had a dream and I was speaking to a lot of people. We dismissed it. Later on that day, as we were going into the bookstore, Christian bookstore, a reverend was coming out. Now, we had two barbershops at the time. So my fiance was managing the other shop. As the reverend came out, she knew him because he was a patron of that shop. So he said, hi. So after he introduced himself, we're departing. We're walking away. He turns around and says, hey, I got to tell you something, brother. Come back. So I turned to him I'm like, what's up? He says, the Holy Spirit just told me that you're a preacher and you don't even know it yet. So I'm like, wait, what? So I'm like, well, why would the Holy Spirit tell him that and not tell me? And I'm trying to figure it all out. So this happened to me 13 weeks in a row. Now, this is all going to answer your question because you're saying, like, how did I know that I heard from God? Like, how am I so sure? Stuff? I'm going to get to it. But this is like the beginning of it. So when he said that, I was in the Christian store and I was thinking, like, how did God speak to him about concerning me? Like, why would he talk to him about me? Mm -hmm. So the following week, me and my wife go to Old Country Buffet. We're sitting there. The hostess sits us down. A gentleman sits next to us and asks me, are you a minister or are you a preacher? So I'm like, nah. But then I'm recollecting, like, that just happened last week. So this keeps happening. Random people keep coming up to me in the street, restaurants. We went to the Old Country Buffet again. Another person came. We just coincidentally sat in the same booth. And another person said, hey, are you a preacher or a minister? So I call my pastor. And I'm like, pastor, people keep randomly coming up to me. I'm on the bus. The bus driver was asking me if I'm a minister. Why is this happening? He said, God is trying to tell you something. So I call my mother and I say, Ma, can I come over? She's like, yeah, because I'm concerned. Like, why in the world is this happening? I go to my mother. I tell my mother everything I just told y'all. And she said, you know something? When you was little, you, your sister, your brother, I was walking down the street with y'all. And Miss Grasso, who was a neighbor of mine, 
said, hey, Carolyn, your kids look nice. But she said, that Alan, when he grows up, he's going to be a minister. So I was like, Mom, how come you never told me that story? She said, while you're sitting here telling me this story about all these people coming up to you, I just remembered it just now. So it was meant for her to remember it just at that moment. So I go to a tent service. This is about the 13th week. I go to a tent service. A preacher is preaching. He calls me from the back. He said, young man, come, come here, come here. So I come up to the front. He said, listen, random people keep coming up to you in the street saying that you're a preacher or a minister, but it's going to keep happening to you until you accept that God wants you to preach his word. So I'm sitting there. I look at my wife, my fiance at the time. She's my wife. Now. I look at her. She's crying because at least seven out of the 13 times she was right next to me when somebody just came up to me and said it. So she's crying. And then I was like, oh, my God. So this is how God speaks to you? Like, this is how he operates? So all of what was a coincidence was no longer a coincidence no more. So mm-hmm. that was the early stages of me knowing how God communicates. Right. So he started to communicate with me more because I was open to it. I didn't shut it down. And that's what a lot of people would do. A lot of people will say something told me to do this and dismiss it and not think it's God. But it's really God telling you to do certain stuff or certain ways you're inspired or you turn on the TV and God is saying that very thing that you were just thinking about, he'll answer it in something that you're looking at or whatever the case is. But you won't know unless you're tuned into that and want God to speak to you that way. Mm. So once I opened up to hear God like that, I even got spanked a couple of times. And I'm going to tell you how. This is kind of fast forward. I know y'all guys, at least y'all know my story about me giving everything away because this mm-hmm. is why I eventually had to do that, right? But in 2002, before God told me to give everything away, Listen to this story. My cousins was getting ordained as deacons. I go to New Jersey. I'm in Queens. I go to New Jersey. And I only bring a couple hundred dollars. My wife don't usually carry no money. I got a couple hundred dollars. I don't carry no debit cards or anything because I don't spend like that. I take what I need. And this is back then. All right. Not now. So we go two states over. Y'all know church service. After the service, they're calling for an offering. They're calling for an offering. So... I have $140 left on me because I got gas. I fed the family. I'm in this service with $140. I go to put $100 in the offering. Something said to me, which I know what the something is, said, no, put the whole $440 into the basket. I'm saying that doesn't make any logical sense because I'm a whole state away. I have to get back home. I have to cross. I have to go to New Jersey Turnpike, the George Washington Bridge, and the throw. I got to go through three tolls before I get home. Why would I give $140 and that's all I have in my pocket? So this goes on as a conversation in the church. I'm sitting here saying it must be wrong. This can't be right. Long story short, I pull off from the church. I keep the $40 extra. I just put $100 in the collection plate saying that doesn't make any sense. Soon as I'm going down the road, I get to the toll booth, the first one. My wife turns to me and says, hey, babe, I just took an extra $40 off the dresser just in case you needed it just in case we didn't have no money to get home. Mm. That was the beginning of me knowing now what it feels like when God is overwhelmingly telling me to do something for me to listen and to trust him and to operate in faith. So Mm. the reality is if I would have dismissed it and I wouldn't have looked at what happened with my wife, then I wouldn't really be tuned into what God is trying to tell me when he's trying to tell me certain stuff. So now when we go back, that was to answer your question as far as, how do we hear? How do we know? Mm-hmm. Listen, you could dismiss God. God could be telling you something right now. And you could dismiss it, right? He's not going to talk to you no more. It's like a girl that keeps asking for something or to do something and you don't do it. Eventually, she stops asking. It's vice versa. You know, you're with a girl and you're, you're asking for something. And I'm not talking about sexual, but you're asking for a certain thing or way. And she just continues to be in her way. 
eventually you stop asking or you go find a need somewhere else. It's the same thing with God. God sometimes try to communicate. And if you believe him or hear him and trust him at his word, he'll keep giving you more. He'll say, oh, he trusts me. And then he'll test your trust. Like, let me see. And then that's how you open major doors by hearing what God is sharing with you so you can get direction. But a lot of us are, I want to say, kind of indoctrinated with what the world teaches us and how we're supposed to do stuff that we have this logical sense about us that doesn't make sense to God. So when I tell you about like a lot of the extraordinary stuff that I stumbled on, everybody called me foolish. Or when they hear my testimony and I say, yo, I gave away everything. But then it generated millions of dollars and there was supernatural connections. Then it kind of all makes sense. And then they're sitting there like, dang, can I operate in that level of faith? Have you been thinking about starting a podcast, but you don't know exactly where to get started? Maybe you don't know exactly what equipment you should buy or who you should go through with the hosting platforms. Well, good news. I created a course just for you. It'll be showing you how to make the fewest mistakes possible on your podcasting journey. It's called the Podcaster's Playbook, and it's a total masterclass taught by me, showing you all the techniques and tricks that we use behind the scenes of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Swipe up now, click the link in the show notes so you can purchase the Podcaster's Playbook. Yo, what's good, everybody? It's your boy, Kelly here. And I want to say thank you for listening to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast, because without you all, we would not be here. And I have a very exclusive announcement to make. We are releasing a brand new show. That's right. We're coming out with a brand new podcast called What's On Your Timeline. We're taking that little segment out of our podcast. We're making it a brand new show exclusively on Patreon. So click the link below. Join our Patreon for as little as $5 a month. You'll get an episode every week of a raw, unfiltered, unedited versions of us. You get to hear from me, Jalen, David, and even Jerry. You get to hear what we think about on our timeline. You get to hear what we're into, what are we listening to, what are we learning, and we'll get to even teach some things possibly. And I promise you, you won't regret it. We're going to talk about stocks. We're going to talk about crypto. We're going to talk about real estate. We're going to talk about the Federal Reserve. Hell, even in this last episode, we talked about Kwame Brown. You know, you're going to get the raw, unedited versions of us, and it is exclusively on Patreon, so click the link below. Check it out. Tell us what you think. If you want to join, like I said, again, click the link below. It's only $5. Literally a dollar, almost a dollar a week, you can get a brand new episode of What's On Your Timeline. So, and we appreciate y'all for rocking with us. Peace out. So, I was struggling. I was trapped. I was trapped in my entrepreneurial, I want to say first level mindset. And I was praying to God, like, God, if I walk away from everything, everything falls apart. And guess what God said? So what? <laughs> so what if it falls apart? If you truly have faith and trust in me, there's no such thing as falling apart. The only thing that's happened is that you're going to be reprocessed. So now when you're in a season of lack, because you're building your mind, and getting everything prepared for the next season and leaving everything behind, that's a process. Yes, it can be uncomfortable, right? Listen, some people go to college for four years to come out and do nothing. That was the process that produced nothing. So now if God said, all right, I want you to just go through this process and you'll go through a season of lack, but in your season of lack, you're going to get great understanding. You're going to get great insight 
then it's all going to be beneficial that when the big blessing comes, you sustain it. So that's exactly what happened to me. I didn't know when God told me to give everything away. You know what he was doing? He was freeing me up because I'm sitting there. My first questions were, God, what about my mortgage? God, what about the shop rates? God, what about these businesses that probably ain't producing what was getting ready to produce, right? God is basically saying, let all of that go. My world mind is saying, how in the world do you do that? Nobody logically does that. But if you remember, I already learned logic from God with a $140 offering and not listening. Mm. So when he say give it all, he already knew my wife had the money to get home. I didn't ask her because I didn't want to say what was happening within me. So there are small steps that you learn as we move forward. And I'm sorry if I'm taking up time no, uh, no, no, sharing, <laughs> sharing the spiritual side because there's a lot of principles and I'm sure you guys talk about it. I know you got guests that talk about it and I know you guys got guests that talk about faith, but when you apply the faith side to the entrepreneurial principle side and what you're trying to obtain and when God gives you a vision, that's like an extra catapult with the faith side like because that's the insight and the supernatural wisdom that, that the world can't see. So when you're talking about a network or a connection or certain things just happening supernaturally, when you have the wisdom, I want to say, of the world or the principles or biblical principles, when God is in the mix, it's no stopping you. It's just that we have to take off what the world has taught us to look at what might look like foolishness to somebody else to get those things to come to pass. So mm. God told me to give everything away. It was a challenge, but I eventually did it. Can I ask, how did he tell you that? What? What was the signs for, hey, Alan, you need to give everything away? <laughs> How long did you battle with being, with being obedient, obedient with, that? Yeah, with yeah. that? Oh, man. Okay, well, I did say for the first six months, I didn't listen, right? Mm -hmm. And I tried to get into the mortgage business, right? So I knew God was telling me to give it to the shop, give it to the home, and I dismissed it. So I tried to start another business. Total failure. Total failure. So I learned a lot about the mortgage business. I connected with another lawyer friend of mine who had a brokerage type business, total failure. So when I went back to God, said, God, everything is just failing, whatever. The same signal, the same signal came back. Give rid of everything. All right. So that's six months wasted. So I said, you know what, God, I'm going to do it. As soon as I said, I'm going to do it, a buyer came from my shop. A buyer came from my house. The house is on the market. And in that six month time, me and my wife had visited Virginia and we said, all right, you know what? We're going to move to Virginia. So we're going to get all the money from our house. I bought my house for 150. I sold it for 305. So that's about 150 profit. Then I sold my barbershop for like 40 thousand dollars, right? So I'm sitting really nice, took care of some bills and stuff, sitting good. And once everything was out of the way and I got all that cash in, God started telling me to now give all the cash away. Mm. So now you know I'm thinking that's crazy, right? So everything was progressive. So just don't think when I'm telling you this story that he told me and I just said, all right, everything is gone. He had to coach me. Everything was progressive. So, so sometimes I would have my own thoughts. And then when I would pray about it, God would share something different to me. For example, once everything was there, all of the money was there, right? We came and me and my wife said, we're going to move to Virginia. We didn't like Virginia. We liked it before we had everything sold. Once we got rid of everything, we didn't like it. So I said, you know what? We're going to get out of the house because we already sold it. But I'm going to ask my mother if we can stay at her house for three weeks or four weeks or so. So we did that. We brought the family to the house. We had one kid on the way. I had two, my two sons, right? So as I'm at my mother's house watching TV, I keep seeing people talk about how they gave everything away and God blessed them. It was so much annoying to me because I was like, I'm getting rid of everything but the money. I didn't see it like that. So people just saying that. So I cut the TV off. 
because God was talking to me to the, I cut the TV off. I don't want to hear no more messages like that. You know, I'm sitting, I got a nice stack. I'm sitting good. I turned back on the TV after a week or so, same messages. So I'm like, God, is this what you want me to do? So I go to my first pastor, right? This is 2003. I go to my first pastor. I give him $8,000. Matter of fact, that's him right there. He just passed away at the end of 2019. So I tried to give him 7000 but the Holy Spirit told me to give $8,000. I give him 8000 after a meeting I have in the office. I say, God just told me to give you that. He didn't know what it was. He called me back later. He said, thank you, man. He said, I needed exactly $8,000. He had a couple of issues. He said, I needed exactly $8,000. I tried to show him. I tried to give him $7,000. But outside, when I was writing a $7,000 check, it's like the Spirit kept telling me to write $8,000. I did it. He called me back. He said he needed exactly $8,000 because he had an $8,000 situation. So that's also training me to know that, okay, when that Spirit is telling me something, it's mm -hmm. for whatever need or whatever. So I get all the way down to nothing. All my furniture in my house, I stumbled on a guy who was a programmer from Brooklyn. His wife was pregnant, of two, their fiance of two months pregnant. I knew them for a couple of months. They moved into an apartment, had no furniture. I stood in the middle of their floor, and God told me to give them all your furniture and storage. From now, I had a three-bedroom house. He told me to go in storage and give them everything. So that was leather couches, flat-screen TVs, the box ones, not the ones you got now. but this, this the, is... the flow TV. <laughs> I gave him everything, you know, pots, pans, microwaves. I was like, oh, my God. God said, so God was showing me, right, that the dependency that I had on what my hands did previously, he didn't want me to have that no more. He wanted me to have total dependency on him. Mm -hmm. So I'm living at my parents' house, right? And this is about almost a year now, okay? My father comes to me and says, Alan, you was only supposed to be here for about two or three weeks. It turned out to about almost a year. Like, what are you doing? So I confessed. I said, Dad, listen, all the money that I had, all the money from the house sale, the business sale, I gave it all away. I don't have nothing. So he's like, what? The man looked at me like I had three heads. I said, I don't have anything. I gave it all away. So he was like, oh, my God. He said, I'm just going to talk to you about it. He went upstairs. And this is the only time in my life, to this day, that I didn't feel like a man. You know, I got two kids. And I, I had three kids because the other one was born at my mother's house. When I moved there, he was on the way. But now he's born there and I'm living in a room that's about maybe 15 by 10, like a room that I grew up in with my family now. And I'm just like, oh, my God. So as soon as my father came to me, I went down into their basement and I just laid out. And I said, God, I said, you told me if I gave away everything, you would make the connections I needed for my business. There would be businesses that would take off all of the stuff I'm telling God that he told me, right? And this is the first time that I ever listened to God in prayer. Now, I would get confirmations and God would speak to me. But I'm talking about where I was just in prayer, just waiting for him to drop something into my spirit. And he asked me, what's in my back pocket? So when I sold my barbershop, I sold it for 42000 I took half cash. I took half note. So I took 42000 I had 21 cash. I had 21 on the promissory note. The promissory note, as the guy was paying me for the shop, had got down to about 17000 and change. While I'm laying on the floor, God tells me that you gave away all of the cash, but that note is considered all. Now, about a month before that, I told my wife, I said, babe, we're just going to live off of the payments from this note until God does what he said he's going to do. That was so wrong of me because that was me operating and trusting in the dependency of some money that I had coming in when I had gave away all. And I told her, I said, we're going to eat and live off of this until God. Foolish of me. That was me limiting God and putting him in a box. I didn't realize that till after. So I'm laying on the floor 
And God said, I need you to give everything away. Because he asked me, what's in your back pocket? And I was like, I only have the 17000 left. That's when I got the revelation. I ran upstairs to my wife. I said, babe, if we don't give that $17,000 away, we're going to be cursed. All of the breakthroughs and everything God is doing, it's not going to happen. So she said, who should we give it to? I said, I don't know. So right after that, I got a phone call from my friend who's a prophetess. Her name was Rod Shepherd. She calls me and says, when the last time you went to church? I said, church? I haven't been to church since my ordination. I said, I'm pretty much upset with God. You know, God told me all these things that will happen. They ain't happening. Mm. She said, I need you to go to church. She said, it could be my church, your mother's church. I need you to go to any church tomorrow. And God got a blessing for you. So I told my wife that. I said, babe, we got to go to church. God showed me a vision when she told me that. So I'm trying to abbreviate this story so we don't take too long. But I go to get dressed for the, the church on that following Sunday. My wife was like, well, I'm coming. So it makes us delayed. So here we go, Jamaica Avenue again. My mother lived two blocks away from Jamaica Avenue. We're walking down all of these blocks. My wife keeps pointing at different churches. Is this the church we got to go to? Is this one, this one, this one? Finally, we get about three blocks down Jamaica Avenue. And I say, this is the sign right here. This is the church. She said, this is the one you see in the vision. I said, this is the one. So we go into the church. It's a woman pastor. She comes to us at the end of the service. She said, God bless you, young man. And, you know, introduce her to my family. We have small talk. She said, listen, you're going to come back. Next week, when you come back, you're going to have a testimony for me. But this is going to be one of the biggest financial blessings for you this week. So now Sunday starts the week, right? Mm -hmm. I'm looking for this financial blessing the whole week. I'm looking for it the whole week. I'm like, all right. <laughs> I've been waiting on this. Yeah, listen, I emptied out. Today emptied is out. the day. Yes. So Tuesday go, I don't lose no hope. Or nothing. Wednesday go by, I don't lose no hope. Friday go by, I'm like, what in the world is going on here? So Saturday Night Live is on. Y'all know Saturday Night Live come on 11.30 Eastern time. I'm sitting here watching this show. I'm refreshing emails. I got AOL at the time. I'm refreshing AOL. I'm asking my mother, did anybody call? Is there any mail that we didn't overlook? I'm looking for all of the signs of what this lady tell me. One o'clock in the morning, I'm like, man, that lady lied. So then I got a little bit of hope because I'm on the East Coast. I'm like, well, on the West Coast, they three hours behind. It ain't the new week for them. So I'm thinking something going to come from the West. I got all this dumb stuff going through my head. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Tell my wife, we like the week ended, ain't nothing happened because we struggling now. We like trying to figure this out. All right. So that following Tuesday. Now, let me tell y'all something. The one thing I didn't get rid of was my laptop. I kept my laptop because for the whole time. Now, listen how strategic God is. He never instructed me to get my laptop away, but I was learning computer programming on my laptop. I was working on something called gotnerds.com. I was going to connect nerds with regular people to get programming done because I couldn't find a programmer. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to build something to connect people. So I registered gotnerds.com. Nothing ever happened of it, right? But what happened was I learned for the whole time while I was at my parents' house how to develop websites. Now, the strategy, and I usually tell this after, but I'm going to tell it to y'all. The strategy that I didn't know was this. I was able to sit for a whole year talking about from 6 in the morning to 12 at night, 1 o'clock sometime, 4 or 5 in the morning, having three hours of sleep, learning programming, because when God told me to give everything away, I had no obligations. Mm. He removed me. Y'all remember what I said earlier? He removed me from the trap. 
So mm-hmm. when I got rid of the house, I had no mortgage. I gave away all my cars. I had no more car notes. I was sitting there confined in my parents' house, sometimes feeling sorry for myself. But the wisdom in it all was that I was learning computer programming, right? Mm-hmm. So this is significant. So the following week comes, I'm sitting at my computer on Tuesday. The Lord speaks to my heart and says, the last 17000 that you have, I want you to go give it to the pastor that you just met. I'm like, okay, I heard that loud and clear. I go tell my wife, I said, babe, God just told me where to give the $17,000 to. She said, who? The pastor that we just met? So I said, yeah. So she spoke it out of her mouth. God put it in my heart. That following Sunday, we couldn't wait to get to the church. On the way to the church, we get into an argument. My wife says, babe, we've been living at your parents' house for almost a year. Why don't you give them the $17,000? I was like, but God said, give it to the lady. So we get into an argument about that. That's like an Adam and Eve type situation. She don't let Satan try to get in her mind. I wasn't having it. So long story short, I get to the church. The lady comes back. The lady calls me up to the front and say, young man, when you came back, I told you I have a testimony. Come up here. So I proceeded to tell this lady everything that I just told you guys. So I said, God told me to give you 17000 It's the last 17000 that I have. I'm supposed to put this in your hand. You could do whatever you want with it. You could use it for the church. You could use it for yourself. This is my last money. I know I'm supposed to give it to you. So she said, okay, give it to me. So I forgot the paperwork at home. I told her, I said, I'm going to bring the paperwork back. I dropped my wife back home. We walked home. I walked back by myself with the paperwork. I proceeded when I got back to her to sign it over to her. When I signed it over to her, she asked me, what do I do for a living? I said, well, I'm a minister. I talk over motivational beats and stuff like that. And I talk over hip hop music. She said, that's interesting. She said, my son is in hip hop. I said, well, who's your son? She said, my son is Rock Wilder. So I'm not sure if you or your audience know who Rock Wilder is, but Rock is a Grammy producer who produced for anybody that's in the game that y'all could think of that is a platinum artist from Luda Wayne, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Busta Rhymes, Erica Badu, Janet Jackson, Method Man, Red Man, Little Kim, everybody y'all could name, that's big. He don't produce music for. So I'm sitting there as somebody who had a production company who studied his work saying, why in the world would God have me give my last 17000 to Rock Wilder's mother? So I go home, I tell my wife, babe, do you know that we just gave our last money to Rock Wilder's mother? So I'm going to try to speed up this story. About a month later, after knowing his mother, me and him connected. The second time I met him, the first time I met him, it was his brother's funeral, he died. But after all of that was done, we calmed. The second time I met him was to get together at his house. I said, yo, do you want to start an internet business? Without hesitation, he said, yes. Long story short, that produced, which I mentioned at the beginning of your show, rockbeast.com. Mm-hmm. We launched that the first month. It generated 20 grand. After that, we launched a site called rockbattle.com. That site connected producers all over the world to battle, sell their music. That website generated millions of dollars. After that, I created a software called beatwebsites.com where I facilitated a cookie cutter software for producers all over the world that they could just come and get a website and don't have to program it because I did 80% of the programming. I did some outsourcing. That site generated or that setup generated over 300,000, right? Sell More Beats was a site that I generated because people were arguing on Rock Battle because they didn't know how to sell their beats. I launched that site. That site made 50 grand the first week and continue to make even more money afterwards. I connected with a company that was selling the beat machine that saw the marketing that I was doing. They called me out to help them. They were 1.5 million in debt. 
and got them out of debt, made a couple hundred grand with them. And then ringtones was popular back then. I negotiated ringtone deals for Rock Wilder. So when I prayed about being trapped, when I was trapped and I was like, God, I got to get from under this. And I said, the main reason now, I didn't pray for the millions to come, but I prayed for free time and basically to have businesses that would basically be businesses I could work on. And God told me, he said, if you get rid of everything, I will set that up for you. And mm. it took me six months. But then after I believed and I trust and I just gave away my money and my possessions, God put me right to the person that was the catalyst for everything to happen that I just shared with y'all. Now, mm. my mind was already prepared because I already had millionaire mentors teaching me about scaling, teaching me about leverage. You know, these are key principles that I teach all anytime. I got to mention these things because it allows you to see the multiplication process when God could show you how to work on something and multiply it. It's exactly what he did. So just from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And that's how you got my book now, Million Dollar Seed. Mm. Well, I just came out with my book, but so much insight. I didn't mean to take up so much time telling that story, but that's when you say who's Alan Brown without knowing those insights as far as my faith, what, when you see the products that I produce and how certain stuff happened or how I was catapulted in some areas, this all breaks it down. Mm. That all breaks it down. It's a powerful story that I'm glad that you shared it, my brother, because I know whenever I was reading it, it definitely spoke to me on faith as an entrepreneur. Like we always want to figure things out ourselves. And sometimes that's not necessarily the case. We cannot just always rely on our own energy and efforts. I did want to ask you in there though, like, with through this entire process, like you were able to make the connections with Rockwild and I like, how was it actually building out these different websites once you had that initial one, right? So you you had the initial rock battle with him and then you built all these other ventures. Like, was it easier to grow and scale from that than it was whenever you were in the barbershop space? Yeah, absolutely. Again, the time that I was afforded, right? The time that I was afforded. So let's say the barbershop is um, you're working in the business, right? So even when you want to step off, your clientele suffers. So let's just say I want to stop for a month, right? Your clientele suffers. Everybody needs haircuts within a week or two. You in New York, everybody getting a haircut once a week. If not, you get a haircut, then the shape up, then a haircut. Your clientele is like that. So once you stop being in that, your clientele starts to fall off because now they're entertaining other people. Right. And a lot of times your money, the busiest that you're going to make the money is on the weekends because everybody's working on the weekend. And, you know, you got the way they go and stuff like that. So it's hard to pull away and have a peace of mind to work on something else. So being in a business that now there's systems in place and there's products in place. Right. You have time while those things are working themselves out as you're scaling or you're making certain components to sit back and think for however long you want, right? All right, this opportunity came. This system is working itself because all you need is system managers at the point, right? So Rockwaller was the product for the rockbeast.com. The production started to generate because even with that, what he was doing was selling a beat over and over non-exclusive. So that means you and a hundred other people could buy that same beat for $10 and $20. It would be leased to them as a non-exclusive. So he makes the product and it sells over and over. And now we have this component or this medium, which is the website that just sells the same thing over and over. No different than what y'all guys might do on a blog, selling the ebook or anything like that. 
right? But now once that's set up and there's marketing for that and it's going, you have all the time in the world to sit and think what's the next move because you're not working in that, but it's a system that goes on. Mm-hmm. So I want to say that as you feed your mind of the possibilities of what can either happen with your business or how you can utilize the resources and the connections you have, you move to the next thing. So this is how from Rock Beats, I was analyzing all of the traffic. I was checking where all of the traffic was coming from. So it was production sites like Future Producer, Gear Sluts, all of these type of websites where they were producing engineers on there. And a lot of them was hating on rock. They was like, you know what? These big name producers is coming in online because that was 2005 when we launched that, taking our money. And then they said, it's Rock Wilder and he's a garbage producer. So I'm sitting there like, what? So I relayed that message to rock. When I relayed that message to rock, he said something extremely key. He said, what? I will battle all of them. That's what came out of his mouth. So I said, wait, 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 what? You'll battle all of them? I said, Rock, let me call you right back. I went to GoDaddy.com and then I registered RockBattle.com. I called him right back the same night. I said, Rock, I just registered RockBattle.com. He's like, yeah. I said, you said you'll battle them, right? We're going to build a battle site. Then I started laying out all of the components of the battle site. And I said, we're going to have producers all over the world battling and ranking to get up to an opportunity to battle you. He said, yo, that's crazy, right? So now check out this. When I had launched Rock Beats, a programming team from Canada had contacted me and was like, yo, can we, they had a site called letsbeat.com. I think that site is still up. Mm-hmm. Can we use some of your beats? And I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to like diminish the beats and it's rock wild. You know what I'm saying? That we also program. So when Rock said that, and then I went to GoDaddy to go register the domain name for $8, I told Rock, and Rock, me and him was having so many ideas. I said, Rock, this level of programming for what we need for this site is a little bit more extensive than where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And then I remember the guys who contacted me for Let's Beef. I called them. I said, listen, I got this idea. Other idea won't work, but what y'all think about this? They said, yeah, we'll do it. So they called me back with a quote and said, they'll do it for 30 grand up front, build the site, and just that. So I was like, yo, I don't really know if this is going to fly. It's a good opportunity. So I said like this. And then my mind, I can remember. See, this is where conversations and stuff before, right? I remember David's conversation from my first millionaire mentor. I remember Derek, who had real estate. I remember Derek telling me about getting properties with no money down and how he finagled and made those. And so same thing with my other mentor. So I said, let me ask y'all this. Would y'all be willing to take a certain percentage mm. and maintain the site since it's going to be a very large site and do it for nothing up front? 24 hours, they said yes. The site was launched. I only paid $8 for a site that generated millions of dollars and it retired me. You know what I'm saying? So one thing went from the next to the next to the next. So the company that found me in Tennessee was a result of what I was doing at Rock Battle. The Sell More Beats course, I lost courses. The cost was $7. The site was so large, had thousands of users. I put it in the forum because producers were in the forum complaining that there were people on the top that were selling more beats than them, but their music was better. And they was right. When I went to their profiles, I was like, yeah, they are way better producers than them. That put me in a position to say, you know what? I'm going to help them. So I'm going to add value to them by creating a course. It was called sellmorebeats.com. I did it in two nights. I recorded 20-something videos the first night and did another 20 videos the next night, taking them step-by-step step on what to do on the internet. First, get a domain name. Second, get a music player. Then search engine optimization. I took them through 40 videos of what to do. I dropped it in the forum and I said, all right, all y'all who were complaining that you couldn't sell your beats, 
Go to sellmorebeats.com <laughs> and get the course for forty-seven dollars. I sold a thousand plus in a week, and that's how I made fifty grand in a week. And that course continued to sell for another two or three years without me doing anything but just dropping it in the forum. So it's just really the mindset of me saying, "Where's the opportunity? Where's the value?" All you gotta do is keep listening to that, and you'll see how I went from next thing to the next thing. And the scale part of it was how did I choose to put it out there? So in each thing, there was leverage. To sell more beats, the leverage was I did a course, I recorded it one time, and I was able to flip that same course thousands of times. The Rock Battle site, I put up a site, I charged a monthly subscription for the site, $7, 2,000 people paying $7 a month. Now I'm making money off of them because now I'm leveraging their talents. Here's that key word again, leverage. Now I'm leveraging the producer's talents because they're the ones at home staying up all night making the beats. You just put the beats on my site and now I'm making money with you just like any other content millionaire site like YouTube. You throw videos up on YouTube, people are like, why would YouTube let us throw these videos up for free? Because your content is building an audience for them. Now mm -hmm. everybody in the world knows YouTube. So it's the same concept. So once you know in your mind now how to leverage, you say, oh snap. All right, let's see, here's the opportunity. How do I leverage this opportunity? What's the media? What am I gonna use? So to answer your question, that's pretty much how I go from the next to the next. And I just sit here and I just think, 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 think. Mm -hmm. All right. Just like this year, I'll probably get into it a little later. My goal is to give away $50 million in credit this year. I'll tell you all about that in a minute. <laughs> Absolutely. No, no, no. So after your online adventure, like you got into the online space and it was able to generate these millions of dollars after your incredible journey through all this. What was the next step for you? Like, what was that after you reached your goals financially? You know what? I had some ups and downs, right? Honestly, say I had some ups and downs. I got so, I want to say comfortable that I stopped tending to the systems mm. and I started letting competitors come and I didn't think nothing of the competitors. For example, I don't know if y'all guys heard of BeatStars. I think so, yeah. BeatStars is a very huge beat site right now. But in 2009, my site is making millions. BeatStars is a new technology. Why in the world am I focusing on BeatStars? These dudes kind of whipped my butt. <laughs> they whipped my butt. Rock stopped battling on the site. Everybody thought, you know. So they had new technology. You see all this type of JavaScript and CSS or CSS2 type of coding that they're using. They had all of the bells and whistles. And I slept on it. And they started building traction. I'm going to tell you something about BeatStars. BeatStars post some time. They make 50 grand a day to selling beats. That's what we got our beat at for our intro. See, you see what I'm saying? Now, why y'all ain't go to rock battle? What's up with now? Nah, just playing, but anyway, <laughs> rock battle. <laughs> you know, I talk to young dudes now, and they tell me about B stars, and I'm like, that was the ones who pretty much kind of wiped us out. I think I'm gonna come back with B battle, I'm gonna come back with it because nobody really did it like how we did it, and I'm just gonna do like a big cash B battle for like 20 grand, and next that'll create like a buzz. And I'm gonna do it once I feel like having fun with that. But so, to answer your question, I got a little complacent, but I had an idea to put together a barbershop course, right. So to be honest with you, I'm getting notifications. Somebody just bought one of my beat courses just now. I'm speaking to y'all. <laughs> so it's a barbershopcashflow.com. I put together a 10 hour. At first it was four hours. So it's four hours and I added some more hours. How to start a barbershop and make a hundred thousand the first year, something like that. So I put it together in 2000 and what year? December, 2016, right? I'm in my basement in my home office. And I put this course together. By the time I got to the end of the course, I had a strong desire to open up a barbershop again. 
So my wife says, babe, why would you do that? Like, look, she's telling me because I told her I would never, ever do that ever again. And she's like, she brought that up to me. Like, you said you would never do that again. In other words, I would never do it because of what it did before. I had to pray myself out of it. And I explained to her, like, listen, I got a lot of free time. I got a lot of free time. I want to build something. So long story short, the community where I'm at, God set up everything for me from the barbershop that I built to the school that supernaturally came next door. I started teaching people how to barber. And what came out of it was the building that I'm in, I initially went to go lease the barbershop, stayed there, built the barbershop to nine chairs, eight barbers, one beautician, right? Hmm. Then the owner, well, the place next door was for rent, but I didn't know it was going to be my barber school because I went around town because I had this idea to open up a barber school. Barber school right now is 20 grand right now to go to barber school, anywhere from 18 to 20 grand. So when I did the math, I said, yo, I'm going to open up a barber school. So I started looking for one. I didn't know it was going to be next door to me, but the place next door was going out of business. And the landlord next to me, which owns the building next to me, which is like a $2 million facility, was talking to me and was like, yo, you didn't know that the building next door, the place next door, your shop is, is going out of business? I'm like, no, nah, I didn't know that. So I inquired to the landlord. I ended up getting two shops next door to each other. I put a clause in the lease. Now, this is very important. So this is good for you and your audience. My first mentor, when he sold that building that my first shop was in, he sold it for $2.6 million. Now, the building was generating close to 50 grand a month when everybody paid their rent. So he came to me and he said, Alan, I'm selling the building. I was like, I want it. Now, I'm only like, I don't know, I wasn't even 20 at the time. I'm like, I want it. And to be honest with you, I was. I was actually like 22. So I said, I want it. So he said, all right, I'm going to see what I could do for you, whatever, whatever. So I'm sitting there trying to figure out a way to do this. He comes back to me in 15 days, like, Alan, I had a cash offer. I took $2.2 million for the building. I was like, yo, but what about me? He's like, hey, I had to take it. So when I did this place that I'm in right now, I said, that's not going to happen to me but somebody catch me off guard like that. So I put a first right of refusal in there. So in the lease, there's a term that says, if you want to get rid of this, if I want to build a business here, you got to give me the option first and I have to match any offers. You feel what I'm saying? So you live and you learn. You know what I'm saying? So now I have the barber school next door to the barber shop. The guy came to me. He got pancreatic cancer unexpectedly came to me and said he got to sell it. So we financing it right now for a million dollars. So the building has the barbershop, the barber school, eight units upstairs, and it's nine residential units for a million dollars that I'm basically actually getting ready to close on. That's where I'm at this present time. You know what I'm saying? Is that a crowd cheering? (laughs) (laughs) It was. (laughs) Nah, it says, but see, a certain mindset does these things as you're learning. Because he could have put it right on the market didn't let me know, right, mm-hmm. without the first right of refusal. But now he has to pass this my way. And he has, he has to work with me first. And I get the opportunity to beat any office. Something that I didn't learn in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. That later on, when you talk about 15 years down the road, that I make sure that now if I'm building this place, that that can't happen. Or there's some levels of protection in place. You feel me? That's smart. Yeah, that's really smart. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I answered your question. Sometimes my question will go around a whole lot of things and hit on a lot of different points and whatnot. But I know it's insightful information. Yeah. I did want to ask one more thing with the barber school. Like, so what did it take to start a barber school? Well, for one, you have to be in different states. It may be a few different requirements. I suggest, this is my personal thing, that when you do own something like that on those levels of entrepreneurship, that you have skills in the trade. You know what I'm saying? 
if you offer them a small piece of real, I would assume or advise you to know how to cook pizza. Because there's a lot of turnaround on certain levels. It's not to say that it can't work. If you're going to open up a barbershop, I always advise that you be a barber because if all non-barbers walk out of here, the business can maintain and then you can reestablish it until you, you know, you're not going to lose until you, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, or be, have, suffer a total loss. So that's like the first thing outside of documentation. But, you know, it doesn't help to be an instructor. You can partner with somebody who is. Partnerships are funny, but, you know, different states require different things. Like, you know, New York is going to require you to go through the Board of Education. A state like I'm in in Pennsylvania is not going to require you to go through the Board of Education, but they're going to require that a teacher, a licensed barber teacher, open it up with the owner. So I happen to be both. So I am the owner and I've held my license for years. I've actually lost it and got it back, but I'm a teacher. So I was able to jump into that opportunity. So being a teacher, then once you have your teacher's license, different states have different criteria. My state required that the space be a certain amount of square footage, that you have a certain amount of chairs, and that you have a certain amount of equipment. And then once you pass all, you know, the state inspections, then you can open up your school. Gotcha. Nope, nope, you nope. Know? And then, see, the thing is now is the accreditation factor. Because once you're accredited, then it's just mm-hmm. like any college that's accredited. And now you can basically have people just come in with a high school diploma or GED. As soon as they sign the paperwork, you get your first check from the government for like 10 grand. And then the government actually gives you disbursement up until the 20 grand. So that's 20 grand each student. So it's like what a barber might make after two years or in a career. I mean, in a career and annually 40, 50,000 or whatever, you pretty much make that off of two and a half students. So if you got a facility with 20 barber students, which I only had the barber school now for about a year and a half. So I actually have 15 students so far. So we charge 10, five, 10,005, which is going up once I get accredited. Accreditation process takes about two and a half years. Bad. I ain't bad at so all. Just partnered with a teacher. So, and there's one last thing I want to get into before we pivot to our last section. And okay. the thing about the credit that you, you alluded to earlier. So I want to get into that. Because I remember with the consultation and we talked about what you're doing with credit. Let's get into that. Sure. You guys asked me earlier too, like, how do I go from one thing onto the next on this thing? Let me say this. I think that there is no experience that you have or having now that's not designed intentionally by God to open up major doors of prosperity for you. I just think that it's sometimes our ways of thinking that we can't see it. So let me just say that one more time. I don't think that anything y'all guys are doing right now, what you're involved in is unintentional. I think it's extremely intentional and God has his hand on it. I just think sometimes what we think in our limitations in our mind, we can't see the fullness of what can possibly happen. In other words, we don't see the bag. We don't see the means or we don't see the components that will fully scale or leverage our situation. Mm -hmm. So I think that with me, when you ask those questions about like, how did you go from the one thing? How did you do this? Or how did that? It's because there are certain things that my mind just keeps telling me and I see. So, for example, right, my credit stuff has to do exactly for me thinking of how to finance the people at my school who don't have the financing and can't qualify for financial aid if I can't provide it. What could I do? And I went to go talk to a couple of school owners and they told me they was like, there's only two things you can do. Take installments or cash up front or wait for you to get accreditation. So I'm persistent. I'm like, nah, there gotta be something else. Like, what if I loan them the money? And everybody's like, well, if you don't have the money to loan, it doesn't make sense. And why would you risk loaning them the money? I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Like I can loan them virtually. So I talked to a couple of people and they was just like, they couldn't see it. 
but there was a system out there that was already doing it. So what happens is, and it's like, you know, some people are not big on the law of attraction as Christians, but I don't care. The Bible says, as a man think of, so is he. So even the things that you continually think, if you continually think, it's going to come. Like the way to do it is going to come. So I figured out a way to do it. There was a company that had been doing it since the 70s that apparently the people that I was talking to had no clue about. But my persistence, which is a very key factor of what we should have, my persistence kept saying there got to be a way. So all of the kids, besides maybe two kids that attended my school, at least 13 of them are on my financial plan to pay me back money that I extended to them out of my own, basically, resources, my own pocket. So that was nugget number one for me, right? So, of course, the internet is something that I have been a part of since 2004, 2005. Very strong. A little bit earlier than that, but it didn't take off for me until 2005 that I do certain stuff or I just, you know, put together certain things. So mm -hmm. this website called .com Lessons, about 2010, I registered .com Lessons. And I was going to basically have a hub or a marketplace for people who were doing uh, courses to provide their lessons and just basically do what Udemy is doing. It's a couple of them out there, right? Mm -hmm. um, that I can't think of off the top of my head, like Linkshare and Stary I mean, uh, yeah, 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 the yeah. Skillshare. So I put that to the side. So I got like 200 domain names of concepts that I had from back in my days or whatever, just doing a whole lot of internet stuff. So I don't know what it was. I can't tell you what made it spark in my head to mix credit and .com lessons, but something just sparked based on the history that I had. So mm -hmm. I said, well, you know what? What if I put together these courses that I have in other people's courses and I let people finance them. And as a result of them financing them, I reported to all of the three major credit bureaus. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So I said, hmm. Next thing you know, after a little bit of research, all of the credit bureaus told me a way that I could get it done. So I said, all right, I'm going to do it. So then I had the concept together where now you could come and finance courses that I basically fund or have the resources. So for example, my stuff is actually launching next week. You come to dot-com lessons, and I'll give you a credit line of $2,000. You go on my site and you spend $60, the annual membership, which is all finance. So for the first 30 days, you get approved for credit and you don't spend any money. Then you make little monthly payments, $10 to $15 a month for a year, and your credit score goes up because your utilization will be high if you keep it $2,000 and only paying back like less than $100. Your utilization was high, plus you'll work on your credit history payments because your monthly payments will be low and you'll be able to establish credit. So that's the basic the system in a nutshell, but it's no upfront anything. And now I got people in my community and abroad now establishing credit history to actually go ahead now and finance, hopefully paying assets like income properties or whatever the case may be and no upfront. So capital one would be somewhere where you would go and put two or $300 to get started. They give you a secure credit card or self self is another one which they do an installment. Have y'all seen the self app? Mm -hmm. They're doing like loan installment. So basically my thing is education and financing education, which our society is accustomed to financing education, right? So mm -hmm. financing education and building your credit at the same time is what I'm working on with the component of building your credit. So I also have, in addition to that, which is my finance company. This finance company is what's going to finance the dot-com. And another company that I'm doing where I'm doing two-tier marketing is called 
your credit connect your credit connect so my goal is to basically push out 50 million in credit to build people's credit and the difference with me is that even if you have a bad debt everything will be workable because i'm not intentionally trying to destroy anybody's credit so there'll be different negotiations where they can get out we won't sell your debt off we just make negotiations we won't take you to court any of those type of things so i'm really trying to position myself to help those get credit and then empower people to build credit, to go out there and purchase income properties or purchase leasing or whatever the case may be. So that's my goal. Powerful. Yeah, that's really powerful. Uh, that's major. Yeah. So that's my goal. Com lessons, helping build credit. And so the site is fully live right now and fully functioning. Are you in the beta mode? Like, can people go ahead? Oh, that, right, right now, you can just put your first name and email in there. The site will be live next week. So right now we're just doing all of the beta testing, finishing up the beta testing, but this is what I do with websites and stuff. And then it'll be live. Sweet. You can go right now to the main page. It's just going to show you a brief video. You can go right now and just submit your email or whatever. It's just a squeeze page right now. And there's a little video on there that explains what we're going to be doing for you. But anyone can sign. As long as you're over 18 and you're a U.S. resident, mm-hmm. then after your first two payments, we'll be reporting your payments to all credit bureaus, right? And within a short amount of time, your credit score will increase. Now, if you got to work on other stuff, there's going to be other people that are going to assist where we have like different credit repair help and stuff like that. But the main thing is to start building your credit history. And uh, let me tell you something. The thing about the Your Credit Connect, which is the next thing that will be launched in about 60 days, when you get on there and you start referring people, you start making residuals off of everybody you refer that needs to build their credit. So let's say, for example, you get into this system and you're paying $20 a month while you're building your credit, and then you refer 10 of your friends, you're receiving $5 a month off of all of their residuals and all of the products Mm -hmm. that they purchase on this site, as well as everybody is getting their payments reported to all of the three major credit bureaus. So now, the reality is, even if you're paying $20 a month, but you refer to 100 people, your $20 a month is covered because now you are making money. So the Your Credit Connect, when that site goes up, our little motto, I say ours because I sat down with somebody else and I came up with this, even though I own the company, 100%. That's why it's good to have a uh, mastermind group of people you brainstorm with. But it's basically build, it's get paid while you build your credit. Mm. Get paid while you build your credit. So that's your credit connect. Get paid while you build your credit. So all you got to do is tell people, listen, when you sign up at your credit connect, use my username. Because when you use my username, I get the referral. And every activity that you do on that site, if you buy products, if you take educational courses, if you download ebooks, even as you're paying off your payment, it's a kickback to you on two tiers. So we're not doing multi-level marketing, but it is a two-tier affiliate. So even that person that you invite to the system, if they invite 100 people, there's a certain percentage that you want to get off of them when they invite 100 people. And then it stops right there because we don't want no problems with the FTC, Federal <laughs> Trade Commission. We keep keeping it legal and just keeping it real simple. Feel it, man. I was, I was sure hey, yeah, that's really yeah. dope, though. I like how you got it set up. I was wondering with that, like the differences between the two tier affiliate and MLM, because like whenever you start talking about those kickbacks, I guess that's would look like an MLM to most people. But if they're not getting paid to recruit people, it's kind of different. It's different. See, that's why you got to be careful. See, the thing is, like you know, I'm not selling you an income opportunity where you go and you buy this package. And it looks like a business opportunity where you spend $500 up front 
and do a whole bunch of different stuff. I stay away from that. I've seen people get jammed up. I've seen people lose money in that. I don't want to tarnish my name with any mess like that. So you don't need anything to get involved with this system. So for the first thing, there's no upfront for you. You just got to get in. And once you get in, your membership is covered when you get in and then also the different products. So this is something that I should share with anybody who's listening. If you develop a course or you have eBooks and you want to put it on .com lessons or your credit connect, you get 70% of all your sales. So once that's set up, there'll be an opportunity for you to upload your course and everybody who purchases your course to watch it, you'll receive 70% commission. The site receives 30%. And how we pay it off? So it ain't like you get your money up front. So let's say you put your course on there, whatever it is, you sell a thousand of them. Your money is coming in as the payments are made and there's a forgiveness plan for anybody who didn't make the payment. So we are banking like a bank, like a bank has a fraud department, right? The bank already knows, any bank I'm talking about, already knows that they got seven to eight or even 9% of fraud that's going to happen. Ain't nothing they can do about it. So they already count for that. So when you sign the terms and conditions, we basically say, listen, this is not furniture. This is not computers. This is digital products. So if somebody don't want to pay you for your ebook, don't hold us to that. But you're going to make money off of everybody who makes the payments. And if you agree to that, then your ebook downloads a thousand copies, then you're going to be receiving residuals and money as the payments come in and it's dispersed to where it needs to go. So 70% go to you, 30% come to me and whatever other fees and stuff like that, credit card, transaction fees and anything like that. So it's a no brainer because some people, let's say if you got a high end product or high end cost, everybody can't grab that high end cost. Let's say it's 197, right? Or 497. Some people really can't get it. But if there's an opportunity for them to finance it, they're surely saying, well, you know what? I can make 10 payments of $40 a month or $30 a month to get it. And then it's only digital. So what's a digital file? The digital file is only worth what's on it. But right now, if I had to say, well, I just lost a million digital files, y'all would be like, what does that mean? What was on it? You know what I'm saying? It's, I got this concept. One of my mentors told me, like, Microsoft will sell Microsoft Word on their medium, same CD for 147 50 Cent will sell his music on the CD for 5 to $10. Same CD, but the value is only what's on the content, right? Mm -hmm. But it's a CD. So now when we talk about digital, if you stole a 10,000 downloads from me, it's like, okay, you sold 10,000 downloads from me, but I just made $400 off of 100,000 downloads. So I'm not tripping. Mm. It's only downloads. I don't got to chase nobody or repossess their computer or their car or their <laughs> furniture. You feel me? Yeah. So, Al, man, we're going to pivot into the last segment of the show. Yes, uh, let's do it. We're going to ask you, what's on your timeline, my brother? So what's something that you've seen on social media the internet, anywhere that you just, like, it stood out to you you want to speak on? You know what? I kept hearing Clubhouse, Clubhouse. Can I talk about that? Clubhouse? Yeah. yeah. The I mean, that's, huh? The daddy house. Yeah, but it's so valuable. It's like, it's another tool that entered the space that I think is just a disruptive type of scenario that if used the right way could benefit anybody who knows how to use that tool. So I kept seeing Clubhouse come down my timeline. Like, what's that? For like a whole month. People told my clubhouse. Then I finally got on it. Then when I got on there, within like three weeks, I had like 600 followers because I realized that when I speak, that's where my tool is at. People listen. So I'm like, wait a minute. And then if you're saying powerful stuff and you have something as far as a product or whatever to lead people to after you say the valuable stuff, it's a very important tool. So that's all I can really think of as far as the digital space that I'm very excited about right now because once my other two ventures are ready to go, I want what you call it, chatty. I'm be chatty boxing all the way up in there. <laughs> I mean, chatty, chatty, chatty. Oh, this was 
See, it's, it's what you use stuff for. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? There's a lot of people going up there. And like I said, that's why it's important to have these mentors putting stuff in your mm -hmm. mind so that when something comes, see, I believe there's things all around us, right? But if you don't see it, you'll never see how it can multiply. Jesus fed 5,000. His disciples came to him and said, how are we going to feed these 5,000? Let's send them home. He said, send them home. No, keep them right here. What do we have around us? So when they like, well, we only got like a couple of fish and some loaves. He said, that's enough. He multiplied it. So even when he took it, they asked him, what you going to do with that? So I say that to say that there's things all around you that could be multiplied. But if you don't have the mindset or the insight, you're going to be sitting around million dollar opportunities and you ain't going to know what to do with it. There's a million dollars right around. Everywhere there's money all over. There's opportunities, but if your mindset is not thinking, those things are just going to sit around your circle and not be tapped in because you haven't been fed. So I know there's some people, I go to Clubhouse, I've been in a couple of the rooms, and I choose to change the whole atmosphere. So I, I intentionally go into those rooms sometimes where they're talking about nothing or they're talking stupid, and I'll say something crazy, and it makes the whole room shut up and say, what? And then I'll elaborate on it, and then it'll just convict everybody and say, okay, and then that's how I'll get some followers over. I ain't trying mm. to take up time what I do, but I'm Alan Brown, and I thank y'all guys for having me on y'all show tonight, man. This is actually my first video podcast, which I'm thankful and I'm grateful. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, Al, man, we appreciate you coming on here. Definitely offering a different insight on Clubhouse. I know us personally, we don't mess with it as much. We've been on there. I know the one thing I will say about it is that it's, uh, it is definitely disruptive in that space because it's kind of changing the perception of what social media is people haven't always thought of social media as like audio platform where you can just speak everybody for the most part social media has been like the myspaces the facebook the instagram where it's like pictures videos mm -hmm. clubhouse is definitely different in that respect and like to your point it definitely does present a lot of opportunities in that space because you get that live interaction with people but uh yeah man Appreciate that insight. Yeah, man. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. Definitely enjoyed this conversation, though, man. It was very, very insightful. Appreciate you, like, just talking about your journey. And I really gained a lot from just, like you said, the obedience part and the faith part. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Al, can you please let the people know where they can follow you on social media, how they can tap in with any of your products or services, where they can find yeah. your book? Oh, Absolutely. Well, on Instagram, I am at Pastor. Alan Brown, that's A-L-L-E-N Brown, so you can find me on that. As far as Facebook, I am also Alan Brown, but my Thursday night studies is like Word to Prosper. As far as my book, Million Dollar Seed, it's available on Amazon. You could also cash app uh, Million Dollar Seed, and you could actually get a copy as well. And that's really pretty much it. As far as my dot-com lessons, you can log on to dot-com lessons. If your credit is not right, Everybody is rejecting you. We will give you a shot. There is no rejection. Everybody is approved. All right. So you can get approved. I'm not tripping. If you don't want to build your credit and don't pay, that's on you. But if you want to use a tool that's provided and there's no approval process and some of the key components to boost your credit score, then you can mess with me at dot com lessons. All right. And also within there, you'll actually find out about the other program that I was talking about, which is your credit connect. All right. Your credit connect any barbers out there i just caught a sale while i was sitting there i seen it come in i look let me tell you something that's one thing i got addicted to when i first got on the internet i connected with a company that was taking the transactions and i didn't know what their notifications was but it kept saying pnp pnp which was plug and pay 
I'm addicted to that. I'm addicted to my email going ching, ching, ching. So, but anyway, if you go to Barbershop Cashflow, you'll see how basically I am on video showing how to build the barbershop to build it to generate over 100000 a year for you, for all y'all barbers that might be listening. That's Barbershop Cashflow. I got so many domains, but that's just that for now. Man. Just check me out at Pastor Alan Brown on Instagram, and that's how you can find me. I want to say thanks to each and every one of you brothers. Much success and prosperity to each and every one of y'all. All right. God bless y'all, and thanks for having me. God bless you too, my brother. Appreciate you for coming sure. on. Yes, thank you. And before we wrap up, yeah, we'll get into a couple house cleaning cleaning items. Once again, everybody, thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning into the Black Wolf Renaissance podcast. Week in, week out. We just look to provide you guys with different value. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our previous episodes, please leave a rating and review. It helps grow our show and helps us get to more people. Jalen, Jared, Kelly, y'all got anything? Nah, I just want to say y'all support y'all sign up for the Patreon or if you don't want to become a Patreon, you can do a one time support through Anchor where you can just donate like a dollar, five dollars. If y'all want to keep on seeing this amazing content that we got going on, I'm trying to level up our content. Y'all support the podcast. So you can do that through two ways, Patreon or just through Anchor. Definitely, definitely tap that link, though. Yes, sir. Just want to say thank y'all for listening to us and keep rocking with us. Giving y'all some more special content coming soon. Big facts. And on that note, y'all, with that said, this is Black Wolf Renaissance signing out. Peace. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is broad money marathon. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.